Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. It's a real pleasure today to be here with Santa Barbara City Councilman Mike Jordan, who looks like he's having a lot more fun today than I am because I'm at home here in the good land. But uh, where are you, Mike? So I'm on the North Shore of Kauai. Uh, we snuck away for a quick week, a little more than a week and a couple of days because we have no council meeting next week, that national holiday. Uh, so we uh, took an opportunity to visit some friends and here we are. All right. Happy yeah. to happy to meet with you across national time zones, right? Because yes. you can say you're broadening your scope. <laughs> yes, international podcaster. Not international. That's not international. international. Yes, I'll work on the next one some other time. So. <laughs> well, hey, Mike, let's dive right in and talk about housing. I want to talk about the council's discussion that it had last week and. There was, uh, for me, it was kind of a real interesting meeting because we had a few council members who, for the first time, sort of spoke honestly about this issue of how much affordable housing do we want to create and are we committed to it or not? And they sort of acknowledged the realities of creating it and how difficult it is and this uh, collision between market rate and affordable and how do you do both? And some people are saying we don't want to do both. And so the council said, hey, FAR may work on paper in theory, but we think that we need to really go full force with the AUD program and uh, higher density housing. So can you talk, you know, for, for the person who is uh, Googling in Hawaii, Santa Barbara, and they find this podcast, um, you know, and they're like, I want to know what's going up in Santa Barbara, right? And they want to be educated on housing. What is the Santa Barbara's future when it comes to high density housing and rental housing. So I'd uh, differ with you a little bit on your, uh, on your characterization. I don't think it's a uh, tension or a conflict between market rate and affordable. I really think it's a more of a tension between um, getting to affordable feel of Santa Barbara. We hide behind, or in my opinion, we hide behind all the other characterizations of uh, we do enough. We have 20% affordable in the town already. Um, every time we build an affordable unit, we have to build 10 market rate units. And that also leads to the need for more affordable units, all that. But where I really see the tension um, is just the, 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 the change, kind of the change issue of um, can we have three-story dense buildings on State Street, upper or lower? Can we um, put ADUs all over single-family neighborhoods? That kind of thing. I think I had the throwaway after uh, Megan Harmon kind of softly talked about, are we kind of committed? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I had the throwaway quote then after that, that I was looking for some reaction. And I think really the only reaction I got was from uh, Mayor Rouse. And I, the quote was something like, um, we have we have that if we that, that there's no way we will get to any um, credible gain in affordable housing unless we admit to ourselves and embrace that there will be a change in the look and feel of Santa Barbara, whatever your perception is, whether it's the old school, new school, middle school, whatever that whatever that is. There's no way it can happen without a little taller, much more denser buildings probably more traffic. And that, that comes with the, um, the, the, the challenge of adding more affordable housing. The private market can't do it. The city doesn't have the resources to do it. The state 
just seems to do these unfan unfounded unfounded mandates, you know, that we want you to do this, but we're we don't know how we're gonna pay for it. Or then cities scramble to kind of write ordinances around the age around the edges of the state edicts and and diffuse them. So um, I would really call it just a point in time that uh, you have to decide: Are you really going to chase uh, credible gains in affordable housing, or are you not? And will you live with some consequences, or won't you? And I think what clearly came out of that meeting was, um, you know, something in the middle. Like, let's take the program we have now, and let's whatever that means. We said let's increase the densities allowed on the AD program, which I think, you know, if you walk down to Garden Street and ask them, they would say, yeah, we're, we're still calling it AUD, but we're kind of edging towards FARs anyhow, because that's the, the whole idea of FAR is you, you put a box together, you run the box through the process, the design boards and let them chew away on it and your setbacks and your open space. And then once you have what that box looks like, then you let the developer just decide what he's gonna put in the box how many units, how few units. And if we're going to increase the densities on, on um, AUD program, we're kind of headed in that direction of FARs without calling it FARs, I think. So, so I'm, I'm hopeful. I don't, I don't know that the best came out of the meeting last week, but I think it's a nudge in the right direction. I'm, um, I'm, I'm very pleased that uh, Councilmember Snedden suggested that. I think, I think that's a, uh, a help. Um, and then, like I say, I think Mayor Rouse was pretty clear on, on uh, being, I, I like it the way it looks now, and I want to protect how it way, way it looks now. And, and that's okay. I mean, when I said, here are your two choices, you know, um, don't chase it and let everything stay, look and feel like it is, or chase it and acknowledge that you'll, you'll see some erosion of the look and feel of Santa Barbara. Either one of those choices are fine to be made as a policy. It's just matters. We need to get behind one of those and move rather than uh, just, I, I think we've been chasing our tail, mm -hmm. just kind of letting things happen and then saying, well, that didn't happen good enough or that happened badly and, and not adapting quick enough. So um, I think what came out of the council meeting was a positive outcome, maybe not as positive as, as the housing advocates want, but it's also not as, not the same thing that the preservationists want either, more density. So I think we kind of split the baby, an old term I would use on planning commission. Right, everybody's a little unhappy, right? So it's like a journalist. If, if you've got everybody mad at you, you've done your job well. And if everybody's like happy with you, then you probably didn't do it well enough. Right. Um, I think it, you know, it goes out to that core issue, right? Of what is Santa Barbara going to become? And I, I know I talked to Sheila Lodge about this and, uh, you know, in her book, she documents several points in time where Santa Barbara could have gone an entire different direction, but because of the work of, of activists coming together, stopping some big project, and it sort of kept Santa Barbara with its quaint and feel, quaint feel. And then um, incrementally, you know, when you stop a lot of those projects, you know, you have this, this, this treasure that people want to come to, okay? But in my perspective, I sort of see fewer of those people with those perspectives uh, being strong advocates for that kind of mindset. And I see sort of a whole bunch of like the UCSB students, the people who want to stay here after they, they come here. My kids, uh, your kids. 
Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, obviously, there's a professional class, you know, the architects, the developers. How long do you think we can hold on to this, this perception that, that Santa Barbara is, you know, this great place. There's not a lot of people. There's not a lot of density. Uh, you know, we want to come there. It's not, you know, parts of Ventura. It's not Santa Maria. It's not Oxnard. It's, it's special. How long do you think we can hold on to that? And do you, do you see yourself as like the, the defender of, of, of that, you know, standing at the wall of saying, Hey, you know, we, we, we got to keep something of what makes us great here. Well, I don't, I, I, I wouldn't um, equate staying great with all of those things you just listed. Mm-hmm. I think there's different greats, you know, in, in the sixties, we had a level of great that was certainly different than today. When I, when my, you know, my, we live in my grandparents' house, as you know. And mm-hmm. so in the, all our childhood, we were driving up from LA and we hit the stop sign by the fig tree, you know, that type of, that type of small town. And yeah. it was a certain type of great then. And that doesn't mean, I think, I think the catch is on, you know, over time, does great just migrate organically to a different type of great where it does look and feel a little different, but it is higher density. There are more people. Um, um, I think it's part of it's generational. Maybe my parents or your parents' age, my parents' age, your parents' age would be a little younger, but my parents' age that they remember definitely what it was like decades ago. You know, my remembrance is more less decades ago and my kids' remembrance is going to be here and today when they were growing up kind of thing. And so I think it just naturally, you know, erodes, which is the wrong word to use because that, that has a connotation of negative. I think it just changes. It, it, uh, it uh, organically changes over time. And the question is, in my mind, or one of the questions in my mind is, is the, is the difference or the inequity or the, um, the inability to um, assure that people uh, can lead their lives, um, is that gap between the, the, what, what, what it was like in the 1960s or 70s was the, however you want to frame that, the income gap, the equity gap, the whatever, was that gap much smaller than it is today? And I would say, I think so. So I think, you know, the burden on, on people trying to live in this city, even when they have jobs, uh, make a living, uh, care for their families, buy goods and services. I think that the difference in that stress on people is much uh, higher today than it was decades ago. And so you're not comparing apples to apples when you're saying, um, why didn't we do it in the 1960s or 70s? Why didn't we, why didn't we, when we got to those moments that Ms. Lodge is talking about, why did we stay on the path? The pressure to come off the path, that path, as she describes it, the pressure to come off that path today is, is, um, is much higher and it's higher for the right reasons, not for the wrong reasons. It's higher because we have people living in poverty. We have children who are living in poverty in this, in this part of the state. Um, uh, we have people working multiple jobs where in the 60s or 70s, they didn't have to, and they could survive in this town. And so it's not, it's not a question to me of modernizing and starting to look like Santa Monica because that's just what cities do. It's more a question about trying to take care of, our, take care of the community and make sure that that gap doesn't continue to widen. 
you know, and if you look at some of the good Santa Barbara's done for, what was it, 40 years, the saying goes, Santa Barbara didn't build any rental apartments. I'm sure there were some rental apartments that were built there, but for the most part, you know, not a lot was built. And then the AUD program comes around and we are seeing uh, new rental apartments built, right? So that's a good thing. Before we move on, yeah. I want to talk to you about State Street. What do you, what's your take on this issue of we need to build market rate? in order to get affordable can we can the city somehow working with developers just build affordable we know that that's what the housing authority is for and there's different funding mechanisms for them to do that but i mean do we have to build more market rate or is there a way to just focus specifically on affordable because if you build a whole bunch of market rate and then you get a fraction of it for affordable is that really solving the issue so um, I think if it could be done, it would be being done or would have been done. I think the death blow was uh, a loss of the redevelopment agency. You guys talked about this on Jerry Roberts show on Friday. <clears throat> we can do that, right? When you're a higher rated program, Josh, it's okay to, to throw a reference to a lower rated show, right? It's, it's big of me to do that. Yes, it is. Uh, watch Newsmakers with Jerry yeah, Roberts yeah, every Friday with my so, mentor and advisor. Jerry there you go. So that's we're we're all very good that way. But um, but I think um, and I heard uh, Nick talking about that's one of the things Greg Hart is carrying with him on his uh, potential move to Sacramento is some form of a of a revised redevelopment agency. I don't know. I don't know if you know or people know too. But the redevelopment agency wasn't just the state giving away money. The redevelopment agency was actually taking out of the bucket of property taxes that the state gets from property in the state, you know, when we pay our property taxes. And instead of keeping that and sending it to places they do now in the budget, they carved out a percentage of that and sent it back to the cities. So there is a consequence to the state all along in that process. And there would be using that same model that the state would have less revenue. And so one could make the case right now that uh, while the state's sitting on billions and billions of dollars that, uh, this is the time to try that again. And then, um, then, then that's a housing authority. Uh, at that time, I think uh, 20% of every um, our development, our RDA dollar had to be uh, used for affordable housing. And it was very uh, effective. Um, we've got lots we're working, or a lot, the Carrillo Castillo lot that we're working with um, uh, the housing authority on, on a project. And that's going to be a couple different categories of moderate it's not going to be low income so even when the method they're using for the investment partner partners they have costs are so expensive right now so even when we have an opportunity sometimes the better answer to make a pencil out is to still not do low or very low income housing so i just think um it's difficult for the private sector to do it because they need to uh, pay their costs and get their profits for what they do. Um, I think one of the clear answers is to look at uh, look at what we can do, what the city can do with every surface parking lot we have, um, because that's flat land. You can build on top of it and keep the parking um, and try and find some combination of um, subsidy dollars or um, or uh, private public partnership. You know, you hear that all the time, but we don't see anything happen. But that to me seems to be um, one of the starting places we need to look harder at is use of our land so that so that the land doesn't uh, either become a burden or 
as soon as we try and do something in the private sector, the cost of land goes up because it's valued more. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I think uh, that's one of the immediate places we need to, to keep the pressure on and keep working on. Okay, good. So, and I guess an answer to your question, right now, I think the only tool is to combine market rate and some, le- some levels of affordable. I personally think the, you know, contrary to what the developers will tell you, because it won't pencil out, I personally think the one unit for every 10 units of market rate is too low, 10% inclusionary. I think that, 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 that percentage should be higher. But I think every time somebody comes along and says, make it higher, that makes the project less feasible to pencil out. So, I mean, but I just think uh, one unit for every one affordable unit for every 10 is too low. And then quickly interject rent control discussion uh, into this conversation, uh, capping, you know, how much yeah. uh, landlords can raise, raise or property owners can raise rent. How it's does just, that factor in here? You have well, no. I, I think from my perception, it factors in negatively mm-hmm. on that relationship of trying to get a landlord, uh, a property developer to see a reasonable return trying to find land that's not appreciating because all of a sudden you're chasing that kind of land. And then you also tell, uh, on top of that, you also tell the property owner who would be landlord when the project is done that you're just picking a number out of the air to cap rent on. Um, I just don't, don't see if, if they're having trouble doing it now, I don't see how you make that dynamic worse. Um, and then, you know, depending upon what you want to read and whose statistics you want to uh, believe, I think it's there's clearly a lot of data out there that shows rent control over decades is not does not produce more housing, and the housing that's left after that time is substandard compared to what was there when rent control started. Um, I realize that other people can find data that says exactly the opposite, so I don't have an answer. I just that one just seems to make more sense to me than the alternate. Yeah. So. Okay, uh, let's move on to State Street and uh, what, what what's happening there. Uh, I know everything done well needs to take time. Uh, we, we know that these are big decisions. These are uh, big choices. There's a whole lot of people with a lot of interest, a lot of stakeholders. I get all that. I also feel as though um, Santa Barbara can move fast when they want to, as we saw it during the pandemic. And State Street is, you know, still State Street post-pandemic. It's still kind of messy out there. There's 500 blocks, got a lot of people out there eating, you know, during the day and early evening on weekends. And, and that's kind of cool. But what's what's Santa Barbara going to do with State Street? And how, how long is it going to take to get there, Mike? Well, so we formed that State Street Advisory Committee, which uh, one of the, the slaps in the face after we formed it and put... Um, uh, subject matter experts on there, real developers, real uh, business people on there, was that we got an illegal opinion that they could not participate in tangible um, recommendations to council because of um, uh, state FPPC uh, bias rules. And so um, one of the answers to that was to form a working council group of three council members. I'm fortunate enough to be on both groups, the State Street Subcommittee and the and what we're calling the ad hoc committee. And um, I think you're I think you're seeing, but I think you're going to see increasingly um, um, quicker reaction and 
uh, outreach and stakeholder involvement and results, um, even in the short term from the ad hoc committee. Uh, we're, we're meeting weekly. We're not meeting this coming week because of the holiday, but we've been meeting, we've been meeting weekly. And you know, quite frankly, the first threshold we're getting over is the uh, fire department um, safety lane down the middle, expanding that from 14 feet of open space to 20 feet of open space. Um, There's a little bit but, of uh, news ink on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so <clears throat> not one of our finer days, but I think we've turned that corner. So, um, uh, but uh, I think, and, and, you know, for you or those who think I'm totally a shill for how it looks and how it feels right now, that's not true. I have a long list of immediate improvements I want to see in on State Street that I think are not consistent with the look and feel of what downtown State Street should be right now, that can be done right now, whether that's the color of the wood, the television hanging on the side of a, of sell, of, of a building, I mean, whatever, whatever it may be. Um, so I think you're going to see those um, be dealt with uh, in the coming months. There's definitely going to be some uh, stakeholder involvement. Make sure that we have the affected businesses in the room when we're talking about it and sharing concerns and hearing their concerns. Um, but I think the, the ad hoc committee will continue to pursue um, uh, quick changes that uh, benefit everybody um, in the short term. And the State Street Advisory Committee will look to those, what I think are longer term capital improvement projects. So do you want to um, increase the size of the sidewalks into State Street as a capital project? Do you want uh, lighting or mini stages somewhere on State Street? Do you, you know, whatever, whatever they come up with. We're close to um, being done with the RFP project for having a consultant, somebody, somebody who does this all over the country. There was a huge um, response to the generation of the RFP. Something like 75 firms were interested in working with the city on, you know, working with the stakeholders in the community and the city and what State Street's going to look like in the decades to come and what we could do there and what has worked other places, what, what hasn't worked other places. So I think, um, I think we're moving slowly with that group and pretty quick and feet on the ground with the ad hoc committee. Wasn't there some talk about the consultants, or the budget going up for the work because the consultants weren't interested in $200,000? And yep. so when you talk about all this interest, is it for the higher amount? Yep. Yeah. So I don't know if you're, I don't know if your number's right. I forget, but mm -hmm. there was, um, there, so if the, the, the um, <clears throat> companies that have done this a lot wherever in the United States immediately returned to the city and said the number that you're suggesting as a cap on their on their project services was significantly lower than would take to actually do the project. So I don't know how that's being resolved. I haven't heard yet. I suspect um, we're going to see a request come back to council to amend that, or they will just go through the they have or they have told the RFP participants forget our suggested cap, like our, our, our suggested project number, and just bring us back your best idea, no matter the cost. And then the, we'll work through the process on deciding how to, either how to handle it, how to scale it back, or do we need more money? Okay. Um, just 
big picture here. Are we going to have a Fiesta parade on State Street? Are we going to have a Fourth of July parade? Um, they're not going portable. These Fiesta is not happening there this year. They've committed to doing Cabrillo Real? Boulevard. Okay. Um, I'm <clears throat> sort of of the opinion that you could have a July 4th parade over much of State Street. So obviously not the, um, well, I don't know. We'll see on March 8th what it looks like on the 500 block when they create a 20 foot lane. But I am, um, I am agnostic that we can have some of the smaller parades without floats or without uh, horses mm -hmm. on State Street, even when the um, outdoor business facilities are out there. Um, we'll see how that sets with the police department and the fire department. We haven't discussed that specifically. But um, that is on the hit list. There's about, I can't remember, so I'm not going to try and remember what the six bullets are that we have lined up to talk about at the ad hoc committee. But one of them is parades and picking, and it's running in tandem with the portability issue. So when the portability requirement manifests itself, if it does, but I, I, I suspect it's going to, it will, there, will be, there will be a date when when the outdoor business platforms have to be portable. And that date will coincide then with when we're saying per, full parades can happen again after state on state street. So let's just make up, make, make up dates. I don't think these are accurate and they're not my opinion, but if we said fall of this year would have to be full portability on state street, then we would have made a commitment to the holiday parade. If we say um, spring of late spring of next year, then we would make a we would have made a commitment to having full parades start in next summer, or it could be as late as um, when we've extended the outdoor business facilities on State Street. Which I think the end of 2023. So if we said the end of 2023, you have to be fully portable. Then 2024, we would back to be back to parades as normal on State Street for those who wanted to come back. Yeah. So. But, I, but the smaller ones like Solstice, um, 4th of July, maybe if they didn't have any vehicles, um, even the holiday parade, if they just went to foot participants only, um, I'm, I'm agnostic that we could do those even with the platforms out there and mm -hmm. without having them taken up. So. <laughs> Well, I'm an eight-year-old. You can bring that holiday parade back. <laughs> I'd be very I'm, happy. I don't, I'm in the, the solstice not, too. I actually, solstice yeah. is my number one favorite. And so um, you get that space utilized again for parades. All right, throw a curve here at you, uh, Mike. Uh, we didn't really talk about what we're going to talk about, but I gave you a few topics, you know, I might be bringing up, but I did not bring this one up, but so I'm going to throw a curve. What is your view on water features or splash pads in Delaguerre Plaza. Well, I'll, I'll beat you. I have a uh, seven-year-old and, and an almost two-year-old so uh, in the house, so my grandkids. So um, I, am, uh, I am pretty adamant about um, uh, a engagement feature in Delaguerre Plaza. Another and, term. <laughs> and if that's it, well, I'm just trying to throw a bone to the others, but, but if, uh, but I would be happy as can be to have that be a splash pad. Mm -hmm. I think, um, I think the, the argument right now that daily Plaza needs to stay like it is, is uh, in my travels 
around seeing plazas in other places, whether in the United States or out of the United States, uh, our plaza does not function as either the meaning of the word or the functionality of the word. Mm -hmm. It is just dead space. Mm -hmm. And um, I am, I personally am not willing to hang on to that dead space just for the sake of saying, I don't want change anymore. I think the process that subcommittee has gone through and has been Herculean. Um, and I think they're to a place where they can take care of all, take care, care more effectively, take care of all the participants, structured participants that want to use that place in a manner that will be better than has been used before with on dirt that's, you know, we're walking over dirt by day two of uh, old Spanish days at the Mercado and, um, and make it pleasant, make it engaging, turn it into something that draws people to it rather than just sits there and says nothing to people. And I particularly um, am an advocate of anything that will engage uh, children to be there. And that to me, right, you know, so, you know, you could put a merry-go-round. How would that feel with some people, right? So, yeah, right. So I think a splash page is, is tasteful. Uh, you, it, the decor fits with the, uh, the architectural decor they're using when it's not squirting a little water. You won't even know it's there. It can be used for uh, hardscape, you know, flat space when there's events there. And then uh, when it's a nice day, the temperature's high and uh, kids want to go in there and play. I think that'll be a great amenity for that part of town. Well, you never did replace the carousel over at Chase Palm Park, so yeah. why not? You know, do something there. Yeah, it seems a, that seems a little bridge too far to get to. So, but that, uh, come on, Santa Barbara, you know how the architects work. You got to propose <laughs> that, and then all right, we'll settle for the water feature. We'll settle for one of those little playground things where you climb on it and turn around on it, right? Yeah. You know. <laughs> so Lanny Evanstein said. 100 years ago, there was grass in Delaware Plaza, and 100 years from now, there will be uh, grass in Delaware Plaza. So you're looking forward to his public comment when this, this finally comes. I will welcome um, making the case for something other than that, mm -hmm. particularly the splash pad. I will welcome making the case. If he wants to make the case otherwise, I will welcome making the case with uh, every parent in town that would like to bring their child down there and... Uh, <laughs> Hey, Mike, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the new tone, the new mood of the council. I mean, you're there, you know, you guys are back in person. Uh, we've got Randy Rouse, who preceded you, um, um, you know, on the city council, Mesa resident. Uh, you know, when he decided to retire, you ran for that seat. You know, now he's back. You guys are serving together. Um, you know, I generally, I think you guys get along, you know, sometimes you disagree on stuff, you know, particularly during your campaign. What's it like to have Randy Rouse as the mayor, and how is this affecting the dynamic of the council? So uh, good, I think. If you've watched the two or three meetings, I think you see people <coughs> able now to look one way or the other up there at the dais and make eye contact with people and see if they're paying attention, nodding, smiling, grimacing, whatever they're doing. I think, uh, I think that's a huge, it's a huge improvement for me. So I'll just say that. I know, I know it's a huge improvement for a couple others. Um, so that I've asked about it, but, um, and what's interesting is I think that dynamic has changed for the better, even though not necessarily, does that mean we all have the same opinion as the mayor? 
okay, as you've seen the past couple of weeks. So, um, and I think that just speaks volumes to um, uh, Randy's ability just to both sitting there and in the background, you know, in, in the mayor and council's office, just to his ability to, um, to, to deal politely and respectfully and actually engage with other council members. Um, and, and then that carries over into chambers. And like you say, we can disagree. Randy's, you know, last week he had one good disagreement, a 6-1 vote. Mm -hmm. but, um, but I think it's back to how, you know, three years ago, how I imagined in my experience with watching council members when I was a uh, planning commissioner, and that was, you know, they disagreed crazily, but uh, they were all still um, respectful and friends, friendly um, at, at other times, even item to item, you know, whatever, I'm going to vote no for this. We're all going to vote no for this, but the next item, yeah, thank you. We love you. You know, we'll vote yes for this, that kind of thing. And I think it's, I think so far it's set a, a, a really nice tone. I think, um, it's, it's a, it's a positive change. I don't mean to say that in a manner that disparages anybody that might've been sitting in the seat before. I think it's just different techniques and this, or personality and this one right now was, is a positive benefit uh, from where we are in the world. You know, he's also had the advantage that he got elected and then we pretty immediately come right back to sitting in front of each other, looking at each other. Yeah. Okay. So, which is, you know, just to the elephant in the room, just to talk about the prior mayor, she never had that option over the last two years. So I think it's unreasonable to, to say that it's uh Randy, this mayor versus that mayor, and in kind of a deficiency or a, a plus kind of thing, um, Randy's had the advantage of getting elected, and four weeks later, we're back in council looking at each other, mm -hmm. and that to me, I think, is probably uh, the most um, uh, step who Randy is or who Randy is not. Just the ability to get back in council and look at each other. So. Yeah, and, and, and you could argue there were opportunities for the previous mayor to, to push for that during the pandemic at different points. Other boards did meet in person with, uh, you know, obviously lots of social distancing, et cetera, and everything. So, but we won't go there. But, you know, I, let's I know not, let's, not argue, let's not argue that because I think I, it's all, but it all becomes very personal. So, you, you know, I've got a, 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 it's your a, fault. a person. No, I've got a person at home that's yeah. sensitive to me meeting with other people. And Megan had a had a um, had a concern, and you just don't know the personal components, the the personal um, uh, characteristics of individuals' lives, and how how that played into pushing to be face to face or not pushing. I mean, I know people that a year and a half ago were just saying "f that." Well. We'll take our masks off. We'll do per, we'll do meetings, you know, whatever. And you're just going, okay, that's not. And so I think we were. I don't. I don't. I don't think we were overly careful. I think we were appropriately careful given the dynamics of each of the council members and staff's concerns. And so somebody could have pushed for it a year ago, but I don't know that all six other council members or staff would have been willing to come back in in chambers. So I think the timing has just worked out really good both for council and for 
uh, the mayor, this particular mayor. Yeah, no, that, that is true. And obviously there's individuals who have uh, specific issues and we've seen that behind the scenes over the last, uh, you know, few years. Um, I will say about Rand, or a couple of years, I will say with Randy as a reporter, um, you know, he's probably more critical of my work than the previous mayor was, but he will tell me, <laughs> right? He'll email me, he'll text me, he'll call me and he'll say, what's up with this, right? And then we have it out and then it's on to the next one, right? And I, I'd say that I imagine that characteristic is one that all of you, some of you are, are feeling as well too, is that it isn't as though we got, you know, the good old boy back at City Hall. It's really about, hey, this is somebody who we can communicate with in a way where we don't feel like we're going to be uh, put sort of, um, you know, in purgatory for six months if we, we disagree with them, you know. And, to, and, and that, to, to Randy's point, it's like it's a moment in time, a disagreement and the next day we're back uh, slogging through whatever we're slogging through. I agree. I agree with that. It's not festering under the surface. I would say that's accurate. Yeah. So, you know, and I mean, he sent me an email <laughs> couple weeks ago but hey last thing you brought up the public comment what was that all about i mean is that really just um uh i mean i i read that report and i i never liked when kathy murillo did it like like when and i, I here i'll disagree with you i like the fact that you could pull some time and one person could be a voice because not everybody's comfortable speaking but they do have a perspective and if you designate somebody who likes it why not let them do it you know for whatever now, obviously, Anna Marie Gott was the one who was, uh, some might say, taking advantage of that scenario. And she was doing it with multiple things occasionally, not every week. And, uh, you know, she'd be getting a lot of airtime. And so something needs to be done. But I thought that was like, a, like you never want to make public policy on a personal thing. You know, like one person is doing this. So anyway, that changed. She, get, she got, got rid of the pool time, but she could have three minutes. Right. So, so I, I, that other show, you know, that other show we talked about, the yes, fledgling yes. Uh, video blog. <laughs> so um, I, I appreciated your guys' point on that uh, on Friday too. That um, that's that's some of the most at times some of the most rewarding time spent is watching uh, public comment and listening to public comment. I mean. Years ago, that used to be the time I definitely didn't miss while I was juggling screens at work um, just to make sure I caught public comment because a surprise dish. You don't know what you're going to get. It could be totally a train wreck or it could be five, five items that you didn't know existed out there, but you should have known about. So I agree with you. Yeah. So you put the kibosh on that and, you know, yeah, it, and when it was talked that we talked, he's not, a, he's not incorrect. We talked yeah. about it at the retreat kind of in general terms. Yeah. And then when it, when, when it morphed from migrated from general to on a piece of paper and a staff report, yeah. it looked, you know, and then, you know, to say we didn't get a lot of negative feedback would be an understatement. So <laughs> it just, uh, immediately whatever whatever good intentions there immediately were shown to be not really necessary yeah okay well that was a good example of council doing the right thing even though they had you know put themselves out there or at least suggested they're going to go in a certain direction and that's ultimately what people want like hey they're going to change their mind if we actually I, I think you said that friday also you yeah. said that as a compliment i believe that you know that's great that you have a council that can say hey let's uh, let's suggest this 
it comes in there and then everybody talks about it and thinks about it and says, and, and here's the input from the community and says, okay, that's not a good idea. And you said, I think you complimented council on being able to do that. I, yeah. I agree with that too. So uh, let's wrap up here, Mike, but I want to sort of leave you the last word. And I kind of want to ask you a question just sort of on you. Uh, you know, when you got elected, I think you've, you know, you told me, and I think you've said it to others, you know, like I'm, I'm going to do five years or I'm going to do one term I'm done. And <laughs> you've had kind of a, a little bit of a rocky road, you know, because you know, you're um, you were endorsed by the democratic party and you got some like criticism for that. And then, you know, you get elected and then you get some members of the party or labor people being like criticizing you for some of your votes on things or one of your votes. And so you're kind of like this guy who's like, uh, you kind of go back and forth. You never really know what you're going to do. You know, you can kind of read the tea leaves, but sometimes you just surprise people. And um, I think that's what makes you a good council member. Because like for those people who think you're they have this view of your oh he's one of those guys they really should get to know you better because you're not one of those guys um you have many layers to you and you're actually very caring about social justice issues in my, from my reporting perspective um and, you know and you're you're not like you know anti-worker or anti-renter like some people might suggest uh but if they don't get to know you and they hear you talk one time they don't understand that you talk with all of this, like, like almost like a journalist, there's all this scope to it. It's not an easy yes, no, you know? So, I mean, that's what I've noticed about you, but how are you doing right now in the council? Are you feeling better about your role, your place? Um, are you, have you settled in? Is it still, I mean, I think, you know, I know you had some personal matters um, that, that were, were uh, uh, challenging, but I know you were talking about, you know, like your first year, you're like, this is, you know, I'm, I don't want to do this, you know, kind of thing. How are you settling in? Are things better from you from a from a service perspective? I'd uh, say better than ever. So I'm, you know, if I told you I had a game plan, then I'd have to tell you I have a game plan, and you'd you'd want to break that story first. But uh, um, so a couple of things have happened, you know, this year. We've got a new mayor. Um, I totally, you know, I will not agree with Randy all the time. I mean, I don't even want to handicap that right now because Randy and I are, are totally different people and we should be. You don't want seven of him. You don't want seven of me. We should have totally different people sitting in each chair up there. Um, but I am, I don't know, refreshed and re-energized with the dynamic that Randy brings to sitting in the center chair. Um, you you know that um, I've had... A, I've had uh, a hard time um, engaging with a couple other council members, one of them in an election last year. Um, that is, uh, that was, uh, that has been on the path to mending very positively this year so far. Um, part of that is being back in, being back in council. And I, from where I sit, I just have to pivot this way. And I, we're, we're locking eyes constantly now. So um, really good. We both, we both met with each other and continue to meet. And so I, that, that relationship I think is being repaired. Um, and those were all just, um, I don't know, the, it's just like you say, the drag and the drudgery of um, get elected, major medical issue at home with my wife, um, 
COVID and uh, and just the dynamic of all that made for a first couple rough years. Not my vision of having watched dynamics at the council for a decade before that, how councils were. Um, and part of that was district elections too. I think we're still we're still trying to all figure out and manipulate our way through um, what what relationships look like in the district world, both internally and externally, out to the community. And so um, um, I'm I'm feeling much better than that narrative that you just laid out. Uh, a new a new a new mayor is a definite plus for me. And in particular, I think Randy brings some skill sets from, from just dealing with people back and forth that will be good. Not necessarily do I like Randy's package of what he's gonna support or not support as my package, but, uh, but I, I think as you said before, we can, we can disagree and then still go have a beer afterwards. We're not like mad at each other or something. And I, and I think that's true with all the council and Randy right now. So, um, and so um, I'm not I'm not looking at it like there's three more years of this drudgery to go through and then please let me out of here. I'm uh, I'm looking at it uh, more as this is a great group. There's um, three more years where nobody's running for re-election or election. So I really see this opportunity for this group to uh, grow and accomplish. Um, half of the department heads are you know, in their first year with the city and the executive team upstairs has changed. So I kind of see this as an opportunity, a jump off, a jump off point that would have been great to have had two years ago. You know, we're back in, we're back in chambers, looking at each other, staff's back with us. Um, knock on wood, the numbers are hopefully going to keep improving with COVID and another variation doesn't come along and bring us right back into that misery. But I really feel this is a jump off point more than anything that's positive rather than a continuation of the last two years. And uh, I'm looking I'm looking forward to it. So do you want to break the story first? Yeah, I mean, I, I got all kinds of what is he okay. running for next? Oh, my oh well, goodness. I'm uh, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm totally <laughs> I'm totally lined up to do this again in three years. So yeah, yeah, no, and so that's I, I don't I don't have a problem with that. Um, it will be an interesting process to see, you know, who supported you then versus who supports you, who supports you uh, in three years. But uh, I have I have no problem saying uh, I'm building um, the relationships and the framework, and hopefully we're going to have a three great years with this with this council and with the staff. And that people would welcome me back um, again in three years. That's the headline, Mike. Uh, no, uh, but you are. <laughs> you, I mean, you are a, a exactly what a city council member should be. I mean, you really care about these issues. If if you saw you on the street, you're going to start analyzing these things in the weeds. And you think about it all day. I mean, you really care about these things. You're not thinking about next office, higher office, clearing the field for other offices. You're like this is what I want to do, and I want to thank do you it. for that. But I don't think there's a perfect. I think yeah. again, I think that's why there's seven, and they all get there by different pathways. And each one of those other six people have something to offer. At times, it's a little challenging to try and figure out what they're offering and how they're offering it. But yeah. uh, but that's one of the challenges and uh, responsibilities of each council member is to work through that and get to the point where you're using um positively using to the community's benefit what each council member 
brings to the table there. I, I mean, I, I don't think anybody is not a perfect person once they got there. They're all perfect in their own way. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well said, Mike. I appreciate it. I'll see you at City Hall someday when I decide to show up and get some new photos of the new crew. Assuming I Rebecca act- Bjork will let me in. I don't know. I actually think uh, news media can come in. Oh, okay. The empty okay. chambers. So right. uh, you should yeah. abuse that and come in and stare at us. So those close up photos. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right. Thanks a lot. Council member, Mike Jordan. Appreciate you taking the time while you're on vacation and uh, have a good week and we'll talk soon. Take care. Thanks. I'll see you in a week.